Um, I want to talk about the topic of truth because it is one of those things that for centuries everybody has searched for truth, right? And in times past, there wasn't quite the amount of information that we have now. And it's, it's like there's this blur when you look. You can look up any topic and you can find whatever you're looking for, so to speak. And you find several sides of an argument. Or even if you're looking, and, and now apparently with the logarithms that you're, uh, the program you're looking on, it's going to feed you what it thinks you want or what it wants you to read. And you're kind of going, is that helping me or not? Right? Is that really, how am I going to get through this? I, I feel like at times it's, it's almost like, going outside to listen to the birds, but you got on headphones playing Metallica, and it's, you know, it, you know they're singing, you're just not sure when you're actually hearing them. And, and sometimes that search for truth is, is like that. Um, I just had typed in what is truth, you know, and um, immediately you get this, well, it's out there somewhere. That's one of the pictures that comes up. And another picture that comes up is, you have this blurred line between truth and a lie, and you're not sure where one leaves off and the other begins. Or if you, uh, you have, uh, you know, what, what are the facts? You know, what, it, what, are, what is truth? And, and then there's my truth, your truth, and maybe it's somewhere in the middle, which doesn't seem to work, right? You know, those are all things that we walk through, and yet Scripture is very specific that there is truth and it can be known. And so even though we live in a day where there is this thing of nobody can know it because there's just too much information, there's a certain awareness that God says very specifically, yes, you can. And, and so one of the things that we grapple with is like when we come into a community like this and we have these experiences in the Lord, and we can't deny that something has taken place that we didn't necessarily understand, we can kind of grab onto that and say, I, uh, I know something took place. I know that it's real. I'm not sure where to go with this, but I'm going to hang on to it anyway. I'm going to grasp this, and I'm going to build off of that. And so what I want to do is, is walk through some of the, the passages related to this, in Deuteronomy, uh, the, it was at the end of Moses' time, the children of Israel had come out of Egypt, and they're being told, don't forget these experiences. In other words, you need to be telling them to your kids. You need to be telling them to your grandkids. You need to rehearse these things, otherwise you're going to forget. How many of you keep a journal? We... We've done very poorly at that over the years. But there was a season where Shar had this book called Blessings, and she just kept a notebook, and anytime something good happened, she would write it down. It's amazing even now to go back to that thing many, many years later and rehearse it and go, oh, yeah, that was incredible. Remember? And, and it's like... You think, I'll never forget this in the moment. But it's essential that you 
grab onto these things and say, this was profound, this affected me deeply, and you keep that in memory and you keep it in rehearsal because your kids need to hear those things. Your grandkids need to hear them as well. And it's one of those times where you're kind of going, I, I, I need to be intentional about this or it's just going to slide. So I ask you, you know, like experiences that you've had in the Lord in recent years, what are you doing to retain that? And what are you doing to build off of that? And are you being intentional enough that it's, it's not becoming a blur or it's one of those things where you're kind of going, yeah, it may have been like that, but it may, maybe I didn't interpret it right. It's essential to keep these things locked in. In Proverbs, it says, My child, don't forget my teaching. Let your heart keep my commands, for they will provide a long and full life and well-being for you. So the idea is that if you retain what's been given to you, it sets you up for well-being, right? And so it's important when we grab onto these things and we say, this is a valuable principle. If we hang on to that thing, it can, it can open the door for good to participate in our lives. It says, do not let mercy and truth leave you. And it says, make it like a necklace, you know, just wear it all the time. Let truth and mercy just be attached to your life. It's easy to, to dismiss it, though. In Romans, it says that because of creation and what God has done, it says his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen so that we're without excuse. In other words, when you, when you look around you and you truly evaluate what the heavens are about and what the earth and the complexity of everything around you, you acknowledge that there is something unique here and something special, something powerful going on. He says it's obvious that God has had a hand in this, that there, there's a power behind this thing. It used to be that in some ways when I was wrestling with the whole issue of, of creation and evolution that you know, you would look at a single cell and you'd say, well, yeah, maybe it just happened. And then you start looking at how many systems are involved in every single microscopic cell and how many things have to work together for it to, to even function. You begin to say, I don't necessarily believe this was by accident. I have a hard time just assuming that this is accidental, these 20 different systems or however many there are, and all the chemical interactions that have to take place for each one to function. It's just like it has to be able to take in nourishment. It has to be able to eliminate. It has to be able to reproduce itself. And, you know, it has, like if, it, if there's injury, how does it mend itself? All of those things are systems that are set in place, and you're kind of going, it's amazing. So how did it happen? Or for me to hear that there's over a trillion cells, but there's more microorganisms in my body than there are cells in my body. And I'm kind of like, that's kind of disgusting, but it's still, it's pretty amazing. 
that, that would all function together. So he says that's, that's obvious, but it says, although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God or give thanks, and they became futile in their thoughts and senseless hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools. In other words, they had the truth right there. They saw it, but they didn't embrace it for what it was. They didn't give thanks over it. They didn't glory in that understanding. And it left their lives. And so the, the, the question, I guess, for us is, are we doing the maintenance necessary to retain the truth that's been given to us? Are we doing the things that will allow us to continue walking in these experiences in the Lord? When Jesus was standing before Pilate, and Pilate's questioning him, are you a king? And he says, yeah, but it's not of this earth. It's a different kingdom than what you know. And you know, he says, Pilate comes to this place, he says, Jesus says, I, I was born for this reason. I came into the world to testify to the truth. Everyone who belongs to the truth listens to my voice. And he's making this declaration that God of eternity has sent me as his son to make specific declaration that you can know God, that you can be in participate in relationship with him, that your sins can be forgiven, that you might have connection with him again, that the perfect God of all the ages desires to have relationship with his creation. Jesus is going, I'm here to give declaration to that. I'm the truth. This is what it's about. Pilate goes, what is truth? And I can imagine, you know, this politician, he's been lying to people and people have been lying to him for years and years. He's doing what he can to get ahead. Others are doing what they can to get ahead through him. And it's just gone back and forth. And he's gotten to this place where it's just, he's just cynical. What is truth? Do you even know it? Does anybody know it? And yet Jesus is making this declaration, I am the truth. When Jesus was preparing to die and he's at the Last Supper and He's telling the disciples, I'm going to go away and prepare a place for you. And, and they're going, we don't even know where you're going. <laughs> it's like the last day and they're still, they don't get it. You know, and, and he doesn't get mad, but he just comes back and he says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to Father except through me. And he's making a declaration. He says, you know, there's a lot of, discussion about how to get to God. And he's declaring very certainly, he says, it happens through me. So when we, when we come into a, an age when we're, you know, we're hearing of lots of different religions, well, that's always been the case. And we're hearing, well, how can you know yours is right? And that's always been declared. Jesus is very specifically saying, I'm the one that allows you access to the Father, to the creator of all. And that's a, that's a dividing point for us and the rest of the world. We don't escape that. 
we have to decide, am I in or am I out? What I encourage you is, you've had enough experiences in that you don't want to get out. So what are you going to do? You build on those, right? You continue to, to go forward in it and say, you've spoken to my heart in times past. You've been speaking to it now. I know that you'll speak to me in the future as well. I'm going to walk in this path. Jesus also made the declaration. He says, when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak of his own authority, but you speak whatever he hears and will tell you what is to come. So there's a declaration made by Jesus that the Spirit of God is here to speak into our hearts. The Spirit of God addresses us in such a way that we can know truth. And you're going, who am I? Well, it's true. Who are you? You're the one that he cared enough about to speak to if you're willing to listen. It's, it's mind-blowing on one hand to, to believe that God cares enough for his creation to invest in them. But on the other hand, it's also this thing of, I can't deny what's been going on in my heart. I can't deny that I know that he's brought me into situations where I, I know that he's done something. I know that he's spoken to me. I know that he's guided my steps. I know that he's provided for me. And we build off of those, and we begin to develop this awareness of, if I truly believe that he speaks, and I truly believe that he speaks to me, then I can build on this and know that he's going to continue to do that work. What a powerful thing it is to just say, okay, I don't understand it all. I don't get it, but I'm going to embrace this. My freshman year of college, I came home and I tried to forget God for that whole summer. I'm glad I'm past that. Um, I had, had an overdose of behaviorism, both in English class, of all things, in a philosophy class, and basically it defined my life because in some ways I'd grown up in a Christian family, I had been in a Christian church since infancy, and in some ways it explained my setting and why I had embraced God. And I went home and thought, well, maybe there's a better way. So I spent the whole summer miserable. God exists? I don't know. Can I forget this? I don't know. At the end of the summer, I realized that I would never be able to forget some of the experiences that I'd had, particularly at youth camp. Just could not let them go. They were, they were powerful, powerful events in my heart. And so I thought, well, until I can figure out a better system, I might as well go back and, and stay in it for now. That's, that's the best I could do at the end of that year or the summer. And uh, you, 
that's not a good place to be, right? Pretty miserable. And yet, it carried me over until I found a, an answer for behaviorism. Now, my first job out of college was working with drug addicts. And uh, they did not have the church experience. They did not have the church home or uh, Christian family. They didn't have any of that, and yet they'd come to God and had powerful encounters with him. Behaviorism did not explain that. And the transformation of their lives that came as a result of a relationship with God. And so I was able to shelve that and say, okay, I'm done with, with that particular thought process. It didn't hold together when I looked at other people's lives. But it wasn't until sometime even after that that I again had some new encounters with the Lord that I was unable to deny what he was doing. You know, and it was, it was a time where, you know, I'd continued reading the Bible it was dry. I'd continued praying. It didn't seem to work. And then there's this day where suddenly joy takes over. And it went on for weeks and weeks and weeks every time I would seek God. Why was it different right then? I don't know. But it was one of those times where I'm going, I cannot think about these issues in the same way ever again. Now, there's been challenges to faith all through. And you have to find answers again for your current situation. But you build on what's been. And I'm very grateful that, you know, even as a kid, having these experiences that I couldn't forget in the summer of my angst, you know, that, that there was this opportunity to continue on simply because I knew that I couldn't let that go. Well, my prayer is that you encounter God and that you have powerful encounters with him, both in the mind and in the heart, you know, that, that he, he takes you through the reasoning process that you need to feel comfortable with what you have, but also that you just know that you know something's going on. Both are amazing. This last week when we were looking at Psalms in the men's group, um, it, it came out that this, the, the writers of Psalms, David, as we're walking through in particular, was much more in his declaration of emotions than what we're comfortable with. That... Uh, you know, when he's angry with somebody, it's like, well, break their teeth, God. You know, if, if I get the chance, I'll smash them in the face. You know, and you kind of, who speaks like that in church? Not many. And I, most of us don't want to hear it if you do, right? But the other side is his intense emotion when things are going well. And he's quite comfortable weeping before God or, or laughing and dancing. It, it's all there. And I've been looking at this and going, in our culture, we treat emotion as weakness. 
We tend to look at it and say, well, yeah, it's an inferior thing to reason. Says who? If, if God is described with emotion through the writers, is God gets angry as well and God gets delighted as well. God sings out of joy. Who am I to say that that emotion is false? Maybe we've cut off things that, that are inappropriately cut off. Maybe there's as much strength in that as, as what we have in other areas. We just have pushed things down so much that we can't possibly think of them in a different setting. I, I'm having to chew on that. I don't have an answer for you. I just bring it up and toss it for you to look at. But that said... This awareness that we have encounters with God, that his scripture speaks life to us, that there are times where somebody will speak into our hearts and, and you're going, I don't know how they knew that, but it sure meets the need of this moment. And we're going, there, there's got to be something more. What a wonderful thing that is. Ephesians. When you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, when you believed in Christ, you were marked with the seal of the promised Holy Spirit. So it says, when you embrace the truth of God, his spirit was given to you to work in you. In John chapter 8, when Jesus is dealing with some uh, religious people, it said the Judeans, they would have been the ones around Jerusalem. It would have been a a religious group that's talking to him, and they're arguing, so to speak. And, and uh, he says, if you continue in my teaching and follow my ways, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And we're going, okay, what is the freeing side of truth? What is the thing that sets a person free. What is freedom in that sense? Well, later on, he's addressing sin, and he's saying, you have lived as slaves to sin, but I'm giving you opportunity for the truth of God to change you in such a way that you aren't bound in these destructive patterns, that you don't have to walk down these paths that lead to death that you don't have to keep doing the things that you know are destroying you, but you just don't seem to be able to break it. He says, I'm giving you opportunity to be set free. So when we're, we're looking and saying, okay, I embrace that God's truth is lived out through Jesus Christ and that he has sent his spirit to us, what am I going to do with that? Or what's the value in it? And Jesus is making a declaration early on and he's saying, my truth will set you free. And there's an opportunity for the transformation of a heart and life in a way that no, nothing else can do. And so when we look at that, we're going, okay, maybe I'm starting to get this whole obedience thing or, and this, this walking in God's path that he's actually opening the doors so that habits don't have to control me like they have. I, you know, 
they say that the fastest growing addictive habit in our country right now is gambling. Number two is porn. Porn got displaced. <laughs> in God, those things don't have to control those. They don't have to keep that power over us. You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And so what a, an incredible thing that when we step into this and we're having these encounters, that it's not just to feel good, but it actually takes us somewhere and brings us into health in the Lord. Everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin, but the Son remains forever, so if the Son sets you free, you'll be really free. There's some tension in that passage where Jesus is saying, you guys are living religious, you're, you're in the circles, but you really haven't stepped out of your slavery. And he says, I'm giving you opportunity for Let's look at two other verses. Psalms, make me understand your ways, O God. Teach me your paths. Guide me into your truth and teach me. For you are the God who delivers me. I rely on you all day long. And out of Proverbs, acquire truth, do not sell it. Wisdom, discipline, and understanding. You guys, a lot of you are here to gain truth, right? to get skilled in an area. But I encourage you, the truth that can transform your life and cause you to flourish is found in Christ and continues to be. And His Spirit will guide your paths if you'll allow Him. And so we take the things that we have in the Lord, we rehearse those, we build upon them. What you've gotten here. As you go out, it's our prayer that you'll just continue to grow and flourish in God. We thank you for your scripture that speaks life. We thank you that your word is truth. Help us to continually keep it in front of us and not forget what you have been doing. Amen. May your blessing rest on these, your people. They know the fullness of favor that you intend for their lives. May they discover your truth with joy. I ask as each one goes into the community that you'll give them words of life to speak over others. Enable them to carry out the workings of your kingdom. Gift them with the supernatural. Be lifted up and exalted, our Lord, we pray. We love you this day. Amen.